So Evan Almighty is a rather entertaining takeoff on the biblical story of Noah's Ark. And if you've ever seen the movie, you know that Evan was a formal news personality who got elected to Congress, and he thought he was going to push his agenda as he served his constituency. But God, according to the movie, had other ideas. He wanted Evan uh, to build an ark, and yes, just like Noah, and it would have two of every kind of animal on it also. He even told Evan the date that a flood would come. Now, Evan himself was not too keen on the ideas you might imagine, and he told God that very thing. He said, none of that is in my plans. And it was then that Morgan Freeman, who played the part of God, delivered, and I mean perfectly delivered, what I think was one of the great movie lines of all times, as he chuckled and said, here your plans. It reveals truly enough, doesn't it, that our plans are rather flimsy things. But God was rather insistent, however, on his plan. And so he sent Evan the rough-cut lumber and a wooden mallet and a, uh, along with a, a hand or animal-powered crane of sorts to lift the heavy pieces into place. And all of this, of course, was occurring in Evan's upscale neighborhood, which caught the attention not only of his neighbors, but also the local news shows. But the fun didn't stop there. Oh, no. Not only did the movie God want Evan to build an ark, he even had to look like Noah. So God caused the hair on his head to sprout and his beard to grow like it was fertilized with some sort of miracle grow for human hair so that a moment after it was cut or a moment after he shaved, it was all. Suddenly as that, it was all a foot and a half long again. His street clothes disappeared, and Evan found himself dressed in a robe complete with sandals in the very halls of Congress. Finally, Evan gave up, and he built the ark. Heavy animals showed up as he was building, and so did the crowds of mockers who did what mockers always do. They mocked, and then the day arrived when the flood was supposed to come. The day was sunny and clear. The animals got on the ark. The crowd, larger by far since the date of the pending dune, was well known to everyone, and they all turned out to laugh. They came to deride the deranged congressman who had taken leave of his senses, and they jeered and they jabbered at him. And suddenly the storm clouds rolled in, and the mood of the mockers changed for a moment. They hesitated as they wondered, could it be? But then the clouds passed and the shine shone and, and the mockers mocked with even more intensity. And at the height of all their hilarity, at the very midst of their mocking, their word, their world, we could hope if they were real people and not just actors, their world was forever changed because it happened. The reason... For the ark was made clear, and all of the mockers gave up their mocking and raced to get on board that ark as the dam high above that exclusive neighborhood broke. 
and down came a wall of water which washed away the town, but not those on the ark. Truth was vindicated, and the real heroes revealed, and a fun time was had at the movies by all. (laughs) Of course, there's a lot of silliness in that story, isn't there? That's part of the fun. If Noah had really lived in our day, he wouldn't have worn a robe. He would have worn a suit or jeans and a T-shirt, just like we do here. Well, except for the suit, of course. We don't usually wear those here. Not usually. But Noah was tr- was, uh, wasn't dressed differently in his day uh, than anyone else was. But he was different. It wasn't his clothing or the sandals or the beard and the hair that made him different. It was something much more significant than that. But still, a very clever movie, which in some ways may have captured and captured well something of that original event, not just in the obvious ways of of a large boat and and animals coming two by two or a sudden flood of waters, and that certainly the the real flood itself wasn't a localized phenomenon, but it covered the whole earth. But, but maybe it captured more of the mood of that time when a wicked people under the judgment of God heard from that preacher of righteousness, Noah, who stood out in that righteousness, don't you know, as he built the ark for 120 years And he warned them all that time of the coming doom. And yet, unlike the movie, the mockers in Noah's day did not get on the ark. They couldn't, even if they'd wanted to, for the door that shut Noah in also shut them out. Reality is unlike some movies and many fairy tales in that not everyone comes to a happy ending. The movie got a couple of things right, though. God provides a way of salvation. He is patient with the lost, even with the mockers, giving them opportunity to come to him. And his plans, his will always prevails. That movie boat which Evan made was not a real boat, of course. It was just part of a set to make a funny movie. The ark which Noah built, that was real. And it was designed to withstand the judgment and to save the righteous. It was built to last, to go through the floodwaters and to bring God's people to the other side. And the church is in some ways like the ark. It's a place of refuge, a a place for the people of God designed to take us safely to the other side. And as it's being built, for it is still being built by our Master and Savior, we proclaim, we preach God's righteousness. Not a righteousness of our own, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. There are mockers in our day, too, who mock on as we join the Lord in his work. And God is patient with them for now. They have a chance still to come to him, to come on board. But when the Lord does shut the door, all their hope will be forever gone. So we work, and we work on and save as many as we can. God's will will prevail. His plans will stand. 
His ways are perfect. And the church is God's plan. It's his design. And it's built to last. And unlike the ark which Noah built and only had to survive a flood, and now maybe it lays encased in ice and snow on Mount Ararat, as some people think, or or it disintegrated long ago after the days of Noah, or, or maybe it was scavenged for parts by Noah's descendants, not for other boats, but, but for houses and firewood. Unlike the ark, though, the church will last forever, as we'll see the next time that you and I are together. In the meantime, The church is a vehicle bringing salvation in Christ and Christ alone to a dark and dying world. And we've been talking about the church for a good while now, looking at different parts, trying to understand its details, investigating its features. And it seemed good to me, and I believe to the Holy Spirit, to try today to summarize some of what we've been saying, to try to get, if I can, a bird's-eye view of this thing, which is unlike anything else in all of creation. It was not humankind's idea. It is not made by them. It isn't meant to accomplish our will or purpose. It is the church. It is the body of Christ, the living temple where God Almighty himself dwells. It's being built by God to accomplish his will and his purpose. And it's a place of safety for God's people. And it stands as a testimony to all of those who are still on the outside. And so, by God's will, we'll begin the summary, this view from on high, by noting first that the church is God's expression of his Son on the earth today. From Matthew 16, we read that Jesus is the builder of the church. So, wherever the church is being built, we see Jesus at his work. He is the foundation, so that same verse tells us in Matthew, so wherever the church stands, there the foundation is. The church is the fullness of Christ, as Ephesians tells us. It is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, as mind-boggling a truth as you will ever possibly know. Akin to all of the waters of a mighty Niagara Falls, Uh, pouring into a thimble or a, a communion cup or a shot glass so that they can flow out from there again, available to quench the thirst of the whole world. The church is empowered and commissioned by Christ. As the last few verses in Matthew declare to us, so Christ and his power are revealed everywhere Disciples are being made, where believers are baptized, where the redeemed keep his word. And from that passage, we learn, too, that Christ comes to us and overcomes our doubt, that he's always with us, so that everywhere you find a faithful Christian, it is a declaration of Christ's work through the church. God lives in the heart of his all all of his people, but the church, as Ephesians tells us, is a special place. 
where God dwells today as we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God, almighty God himself, lives by his spirit. And glory comes to God through the church as the next chapter in Ephesians tells us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The church is God's expression of his son on the earth today. Now maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, is that it? The church? Is that how God is revealing his son in our world today? Yes, uh, it's not the only way, of course, but it is a powerful way. What, what more do you want, though? I mean, especially after knowing what we know about the church. I mean, the ark, which, uh, which saved humankind in its day, appeared to be only so much wood. And if you lived back then, you'd have thought uselessly put together. So it seemed that it had never yet at that point had rained upon the face of the earth. Isaiah tells us of of Jesus himself, who grew up before God like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Those who were looking for a rock star looked right over and past the rock of our salvation and the bright and morning star. And the Bible? A book? (laughs) And there are so many books in the world, aren't there? What is in that? Except it's the word of God, and there's power there to change lives. And you and I know too, don't we? I mean, we've talked about it, that miracles, the things people think they want, don't have any real power to change people. If, if someone doesn't believe the word of God, they won't believe even though someone rises from the dead. And we know that in man, the man Christ Jesus, Jesus, There's where the salvation of the world is. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And yet to look at him, we would have never known. Now, his ark, too, kind of a barge built on dry ground, was used by God to deliver his people. None of those things seemed like much. And yet every one of them, and more besides, God put something before the people. Real things, objective things, things that can get our attention, things that can be looked at and investigated. He put them there in order to reveal himself to us. And he did that same thing with the church. The church, yes, the church with all its wrinkles, so seemingly lowly and plain is God's expression of his son on earth today. But the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more powerful that expression becomes. That the church goes beyond just that. It goes beyond manifesting Christ to us in the world. It is through the church that God perfects his people. We, you and I, are are people commissioned by God, as Matthew 28 tells us, which was on the screen a little earlier. Uh, it, It tells us that as a church, we have been given a task. But it's God's people working together who accomplish that. You and I, 
individually. You understand, we're responsible before God to go into all the world and make disciples, but no one can do that alone. We're, we're part of something greater than ourselves. We have to do it together as a local expression of the body of Christ if we're to do it at all. Matthew 16 tells us again, we, we saw that a little earlier, that we've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That is, Christ supplies all we need for life and godliness, and we're assured he will guide his people always. Not a thing that we need. Not one thing that we need is left to chance. God supplies it all through his church. Now, I think God can't give us some things through other avenues, but the church is his primary way in which he grows his children by meeting their needs and guiding them. Ephesians 4 tells us God gave certain people to the church to what? To equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may build, be built up. And it goes on to say, until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of God. God works in the church to unite us, to teach us of his Son, to make us mature. He won't stop until we reach the whole measure of the fullness of God. And how amazing is that? And it's through the church that we are enabled to minister to both those outside and inside. In the book of the Revelation, we find seven letters to the seven churches. Seven, a symbolic number, representing all the churches that ever were, at least where Christ is the head. And we find there, what? God communicating his message to his people through the pastor to the church gathered. And he warns them and he encourages them, befitting of their need. And he tells them and us there that whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he always there promises good to those who heed his call. It's through the church that God perfects his people. But I thought, <laughs> you might be saying, I, I, I thought... It's God who perfects me through the Holy Spirit. And, and haven't you yourself taught, Pastor Larry, that it's God's will that we live the Christian life in the power of the Spirit? How can the church be so important for the perfecting of the believer? Well, yes, the Spirit does enable us but to live the life, and only he can. But let's not forget either that it was the Spirit who baptizes us into the church. He puts us there for his reasons. You know, we can think of it this way. The sculptor needs a block of stone to do his work. A stone in the quarry or loaded on a truck doesn't do him any good. The stone has to be brought to the workshop where he can do as he sees fit as he carves his work of art. The Holy Spirit uh, sculpts the believer. He, he does his work in the church among other believers for the church is his workshop. And sometimes the church is the hammer and the chisel even. We'll take a drill sergeant. Uh, he has to train his recruits. There are a lot of things they have to learn individually, but they must, if they're going to win their battles, they have to fight as a team. 
Alone they can do a little. Together they can win a war. You and I are called to make a difference in the world, and the Holy Spirit is at work in each of us to do that. But the only way we can win our world is by working together. It's through his strength. Or maybe this. Imagine a hobo traveling roads and living under bridges, growing up in the toughest and roughest of neighborhoods, who, as it turns out, is a long-lost prince, born of a mighty king who paid a great price to find and rescue his son. That prince knows nothing of what it means to live nobly. All he knows is the street. Teach him to read and put a a pile of books in front of him, and he'll learn something of their manners. Uh, He'll hear a description. His mind will be altered somewhat, but his heart will still be in the wild. But put him in the company of those who do live nobly, and he'll see something of the heart of the matter. He'll experience the life and the breath and the spirit of it, of the good that could be his, and it'll change him from the inside out. And it doesn't matter that none of the others are living it out perfectly. It only matters that they're trying and they keep on trying while they admit their faults. He finds a place there where he can grow and become the prince that he was meant to be. That's what the church does for the people of God. The church manifests God's Son to the world, to the believer and the unbeliever alike. And the church is God's tool. It's the place where he works uh, on his people to perfect them in order to make them fit for their calling so they can live a worthy life. It's where he makes us more and more like his son, Jesus. That's the church. And from the top of our mountain, from the bird's eye view of the church, there's one more thing we should see. There's so much more to the church, more than our weak eyes can see, but even so, we should still see that the church impacts the world. It manifests the sun, it perfects the believer, and it changes the world. The church storms the gates of hell. Matthew 16, again, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. We are not a fortress hiding behind locked gates. We are an army advancing across the globe. No gate can withstand us. We knock down gates. And as Corinthians says, we demolish arguments. We destroy every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We are sent by Christ to go into all the world and make disciples. In Acts, we're told we are his witnesses, first in our hometown and then in our state and nation and then in all of the bad places of the world until finally we reach the ends of the earth itself. We storm the gates of hell. And then to our world is rotting away. Left to itself, it has no hope. It cannot stop the malignant growth of sin. It cannot cauterize the festering wound sapping its light. But in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says the church is a salt of the earth. He put us here. We're salt which cleanses and preserves. 
the good that's left in our world would quickly pass away without the church. You only need to look at those places where the church doesn't exist or has lost its way to see evil flourishing and humankind languishing and perishing forever perishing. Without the church, only God's direct grace keep men and women from falling headlong into the abyss and a Christless eternity. How great the need is. How great the need is. And the church is what meets that need. Salt, too, is that which gives flavor. And it's salt which makes people thirsty for the living water. Darkness, moreover, our world lies in darkness. The shadow of death is cast across the globe. They know nothing of life in the dark. Even those who realize their loss can't see the way to go. So God put us here, Jesus in that same message delivered on the side of a mountain said, we are the light of the world. Do you know what that means? Have you ever had dreams like I've had where you're in the dark? Maybe you're lying on your bed in your bedroom sleeping and in that darkness evil works. And you know, I mean, you just know, if you could turn on a light, you could be saved. Either the evil would flee or you could fight it, but somehow, however it is, there is safety in the light. And you try the lamp next to your bed, and for some reason, it doesn't turn on. Maybe the bulb is blown. And you get up and you stumble around the edge of the bed and you reach for the wall, switch and flip it, but there's still no light. You go out throughout the house in your dream, flipping switches and pulling cords, trying to find light. For you know there's life in the light. And in such dreams, have you ever had them? You hunger for the light. You fear in the darkness. You fear even when you know that you're dreaming. And when you know it's a dream, you want to wake up, but you can't. Still, still, there is no light, only fear and darkness. That is the hunger that exists in the hearts and souls of men and women and children who are yet in the darkness. They don't even know what they hunger for. And so we show them, because we are the light of the world. The church impacts our world. Our world's lost. It's trapped in the kingdom of the evil one, servants of a cruel master who hates and destroys them. It's a world is, which is rotting from the cancerous growth of sin, eating away at what little life they have where death looms large. The darkness of our world is deep. And it's blinding. The people of this world want. They want. They need what we have. For the want of anything better, they give themselves up to slavery. They make whatever home they can in the shadow of death. They try to fill themselves with anything they find. 
to deaden the hunger in their souls. But none of it works. Tell me. Tell me if you can. Tell me if you dare. What is it that humankind can do to deliver itself from that? Does any mere person hold a key that can unlock the gates of hell which imprison people? Is there any balm in Gilead or anywhere else in the world that can heal our brokenness? Can an elixir be brewed to take away the blindness? No, there is no help in us. It's as impossible as trying to lift yourself using your own hand by the hair of your head to try to set yourself on top of a skyscraper. For we're the ones who are in prison. Rot is in our souls. Blindness is in our heart. Only in Christ is there freedom and health and sight and the church is how he works in our world today. It's his plan. It's his design. It's built to last. The church manifests the sun to the world, to the believer and unbeliever alike. The church is God's tool. It's the place where he works to perfect his people, to make us fit, to help us live a life worthy of our calling. And the church is what God uses to impact our world today. That's what we see when we look from on high and if we flew like a bird way above it all. I don't know about you, but I think it's a pretty impressive view. Something to rejoice in and to be glad about. And yes, the reality is even greater. Now, we might be thinking, well, of course, the church spread out over time and throughout the world must be a great and powerful force for good in the world. And if we think that, we are indeed right. But it is really more amazing than that because every church where Christ is the head is the local expression of the body of Christ. And we here at White Bible Church, as with every good church that as a true church where Jesus is, for all of our faults, we here. And not, we aren't just a part. We're not just a piece of the whole thing, but all the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way fills us here. We manifest Christ to the world. We are being remade into the image of Christ. We are impacting the lost of our world. We may not look like much. The world uh, around us certainly will mock. They will jabber and jeer. Things go on apace as scorn is heaped on all those who proclaim righteousness as we work to advance God's kingdom, declaring the good news of Jesus Christ while God himself is patiently waiting, almost as if time itself had stood still, waiting for the sinner, the lost, the fearful, the sick, the hungry, waiting for even the mockers themselves to stop their mocking and to come in 
God is at work as he waits in many ways, but also through his church, which is storming the gates of hell, preserving the good, and driving out the darkness. And so if you're on the inside, then you know that you are part of something greater than yourself, something designed and built by God Almighty, something built to last. And the world may mock, but the church is. The manifold wisdom of God and glory comes to God because of it. And if you're on the outside, if you're on the outside, then come in. Come into the light. Feed the hunger in your soul. Find healing for your sin-sick soul. Let God who made you perfect his work in you. Come in while the door is still open. Come in before it shuts and you find yourself on the outside lost and undone for all eternity. Come in. Come in. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Father, for your patience, for your grace and your goodness to us. Help us to see with spiritual eyes all that you have for us. Help us to go out in the strength of the Spirit and make a difference in the world around us. Bring us back here time and time again to feed us, to fill our cups, to strengthen us, to make us more like Jesus. And so may glory, real glory, come to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.